0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at Newdaycommunity.org. Jesus is going to be our hero today. So just so so that we can stick with theme. And uh, but this is an amazing story. So the gospel of, of John, we're going to be reading the story of Nicodemus and Jesus found in John chapter three. So you can turn in your Bibles to that. Um and but the Gospel of John was written uh, with the intention of bringing people into a saving relationship with, with, uh, with Jesus, right? And we see this, his kind of summary statement of his gospel, written in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. This is late in his gospel. And John, the author, says, "...Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name." Right? And so John is saying the whole sole purpose of these things that I've included in this book, these stories about Jesus, are so that people can ha- come into relationship with him, that they can know that he is the Son of God, that they can know that he is uh, the, the way and the truth and the life. All right, and so he picked certain stories, and we see that he picks stories that are different right, than the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, I call those the synoptic Gospels because there's so much that is similar in those three Gospels. A lot of the same stories, a lot of the same uh, themes and ideas, but in John it is radically different. John is a much more spiritual Gospel. It, it, he goes in a different direction. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus is really beginning his, his ministry. And in, in only in the Gospel of John does Jesus begin his ministry in Jerusalem by kicking over the tables in the temple. Welcome to Jerusalem. My name is Jesus. Here we go. Bring it, right? And so he's kicking over tables, and it says in verse 23, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. All right, and so Jesus is kicking it off. He's, he is making a big splash in Jerusalem. And so that is kind of leading into this story of Jesus and Nicodemus. And John put this story in here. He picked this story on purpose so that it will draw us into a greater understanding of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. All right, and so we're just going to read through the whole story uh, well, basically 1 through 16 is the, is the only part we're going to read. Uh, so it's the story and one summary statement about the story. Uh, and then we're just going to go through and kind of look at what John is trying to communicate and how that will apply to us today. All right, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God And so that's the end, the red letter stop. That's the end of Jesus. And then John says, it's kind of a summary of this story, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so this story is about helping us to step into, to make this choice to receive eternal life. And often, if if you stick around church long enough, you're going to hear this idea of works righteousness, right? Like if you work hard enough, you can enter into the kingdom and God will be proud of you and he'll bless you. Um, and we come against that because we see in the, the New Testament and the epistles that Paul, right, he strongly comes against that, right? You know, you know, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to follow the law. It is, uh, it is by grace through faith alone that you are saved. And so we see Paul kind of talking and coming against law and legalism. But right here in the Gospel of John, prior to Paul... Well, it was probably written contemporarily with Paul, but anyway. So before the epistles, right? We see that John, the author, Jesus. John records Jesus talking about the same concept, right? And so that is what we're going to see, that Jesus was also saying, hey friends, it is not through any of your efforts. It's not through being a Jew. It's not through being circumcised. It's not through, you know, following the letter of the law or the oral tradition that has been passed down. It is only by faith in me, right? And the the climax of this story is that we're going to get to in a minute, is just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And as the story is going to build to that moment as Jesus tries to dismantle Nicodemus' preconceived notions of how you enter into the kingdom or how you uh, attain eternal life. All right, so jumping back into chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there is a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. All right, and so Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We only see him a few times in Scripture. This is the longest uh, story with Nicodemus in it. But then he comes again uh, a couple times at the end of this gospel, and we see that John records that is. his... Um, there's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, right, that uh, come and take Jesus' body to bury. And so, that maybe gives us a clue, you know, so at the, at the end of this story, we don't know what Nicodemus chooses. Does he choose to put his trust in Jesus, Does he, or does he choose to rest in kind of this pharisaical legalism? We don't really know, but I think, I think that he came around, right? He's not a hero, right? He wasn't didn't stand and shout it from the rooftops, but I think he came around, but that's, that's me reading into the story. So we don't know. He's possibly a good guy. Eventually, doesn't matter. The point is, the point is that this story doesn't answer that because it's asking us a question. It's asking, our what are we going to do with this reality of Jesus? And so here comes Nicodemus, this Pharisee. He's a, a ruler of the Jews. He uh, is uh, in, in a synagogue leader, right? And so the Pharisees, they believed in uh, the supernatural realm. They believed in an eternity. They, re- they believed in uh, the kingdom of God. Right? And we see that Jesus turns this conversation quickly to the kingdom of God. But to understand where Nicodemus's head is, there is no mention of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, but they did talk about the kingdom. They expected and they held on to these promises from the law and the prophets that God was going to send a Messiah, that God was going to send a Messiah, and this guy was going to sit on David's throne, Right, and the, when the Messiah came, sat on David's throne, David's throne. He was going to restore Israel to its rightful place. He was going to judge the rest of the nations, right? And then uh, once they got all their ducks in a row, the Messiah is on the throne. Everybody's happy, and then God is going to, to come and bring this spiritual or supernatural renewal, right? They're waiting for a politically free Israel, and which will pave the way for the the coming of God's spiritual kingdom. Does that make any sense? Okay. Just try. Uh, so, uh, trust me. We'll get. We'll. we we'll, are going to add some more to that in, in a second. I. I think. Um, and so they were waiting for this coming kingdom, but they also thought the Pharisees had seen throughout the history of Israel that Israel tends to be terrible. Right? They saw from the beginning that Israel rebels against God they turn their back they they're not faithful to the covenant right and, and we see you know even as God is bringing them out of Egypt, through the, the Red Sea, traveling through the uh, the desert, and God is providing water, and he's providing food, and he's providing manna, and there is a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. It seems like there could be no question of the reality of God in their presence, and yet the, uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they turn their back and they rebel, right? They throw some gold earrings into a fire, and out pops this golden calf. And they're like, we don't know what happened, but it seemed to make sense. We just thought we'd worship this calf, and we longed to go back to Egypt, and all this trouble. And so the the Pharisees, they knew the trouble that Israel had. They knew that Israel had been continually um, attacked by her enemies, and God allowed Israel to be uh, dispersed all over the place, and the, the The kingdom had been, or the throne had been overthrown, right? There was no king on the throne. Jerusalem was in shambles. There's all this bad stuff is happening. And they think, if we can do the opposite of what Israel does, if we can do the opposite of what our forefathers did, right, by getting all our ducks in a row, by following the Mosaic law real, real good, Right, And also, if we can uh, follow this oral tradition that has been passed down through the ages, um, then we will be pleasing to God, and when we're pleasing to God, then he will send his Messiah, and then he will restore Israel, judge the nations, and this supernatural renewal that we're looking forward to is going to happen. That was the Pharisaic idea. right? And I don't want to give, I was talking to Anthony, Pastor Anthony about this, and he's like, man, I just think Pharisees get a bad rap. That's true. They, they do get a bad rap. They were trying. They meant well, right? But the, go- the gospel authors use them as the antagonists. They, they kind of had a pretty significant role in crucifying Jesus, and so we're just going to let them go ahead and be the bad guys today. Um, but caveat, they do get a bad rap. They meant well. But it's like, it's like saying Darth Vader gets a bad rap, right? And it's like, oh, he meant well. He's just trying to save Padme. Anyway. Um, so, so that's okay. So that's the the mindset of Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus comes in, uh, member of the Jewish ruling council. He comes at night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, because no one can do the signs you, uh, you are doing if God were not with him. And so this is interesting. Uh, in the Gospel of John, we see that he often uses this dichotomy between light and darkness. Right? Just a couple chapters before in John's prologue, uh, John, where is it? Is it four? No, nine. I think it's before nine. Oh, ch- chapter one, verse four. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right. And then, number nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so the the author kind of pictures Jesus as, as the light of the world, the light in the darkness. And here is Nicodemus, and he is going to be representing anybody, right, that is interested in Jesus. Maybe oh, they've heard about him, and they want to come closer to him, right? And we see that John sets this narrative up by saying, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And so there's this picture of this, uh, this man coming out of the darkness into the light of Jesus, right? And so John is giving us a picture of what is happening in maybe a spiritual realm or kind of a narrative in the narrative story to help us get an understanding of, of what's going on here. And so Nicodemus comes out of the night into the light of Jesus' presence, and he says, we know that you are uh, from God right? The Pharisees know. They're not, they're not like, oh, who is this guy? Well, they are like, who is this guy? But they can tell. They know there's something special about him, right? They know that he's from God. They've seen him do these miraculous signs. They saw him kick the table over in the temple and, and, de- and declare that the kingdom of God is now present. Right? And so they know that there's something going on with this guy, and they and so he comes out of the darkness into the light to go, all right, Jesus, we've heard about you, we've seen what you're doing, and we want to know more. And Jesus immediately takes over the conversation. Right? Immediately he and this just seems out of the blue. It's like Jesus is hanging out there and Nicodemus is like, hey Rabbi, we know that you're from God. Right? And Jesus says this very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And what would Nicodemus, what's Nicodemus thinking? Like, what, uh, all right, well, we're just going to jump right into it then. Okay, great. And Jesus, it, he cuts right to the heart. He knows what Nicodemus's heart is. He knows right where he is going to try to lead this conversation. Right? He knows that he's a Pharisee, and he's concerned with the things of God. He's concerned with righteousness. He's concerned with seeing the, the, the Davidic Messiah come and sit on the throne and to restore Israel. Right? And so Jesus says, you must be born again. And interestingly, this uh, phrase, born again, uh, is, is, a, is a Greek phrase. I can't remember what it is. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, uh, they, they rec- anyway. Uh, yeah, so it can be translated to it, genethe anothen. That's what it is. Genethe anothen in the Greek. Ooh, fancy, Mark. Um, and, uh, and, and this can be translated two ways, as our friend Lou stole my thunder. That's fine. I'm just, kid- I'm just kidding. It's was a joke. It was a joke. I love you. So <laughs> Gennethe and Otham can be translated uh, born again, or it can be, can be translated born from above. All right? And so Jesus says, you must be born again, born from above. And Nicodemus kind of latches onto this naturalistic idea, how can somebody be born again? right uh, how can they be born when they're old nicodemus asked surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born right and so he's he is moving in the natural right trying to go all right jesus obviously is from god or right, now we need to be born again how how do you that seems odd and he's confused he's struggling with this right and really we would be too, as Christians. We use this language all the time, right? You must be born again. I've been born again. Somebody should be born again. And yet, it is crazy talk, right? It's like, what does that, e- what does that even mean, right? And and so I think that's what Nicodemus is like. Well, we don't talk like that in the Pharisaical circles that I run in. We don't talk about being born again. And I don't even know how that would even happen, Jesus, because you know, my mom's this big and that. Anyway, so and so Jesus says. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so Jesus tries to bring this back to, to, uh, uh, to where, um, what's his name, Nicodemus, something that he would understand. He said, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Right, and there's a, there's a number of theories about what does it mean to be born of water and the spirit. You know, Some people think that the, the water is like the, the natural, that first birth, right? You're born, the breaking of the amniotic fluids. right? Uh, some people think that the uh, uh, water is referring to baptism or maybe John's baptism of repentance or maybe John is looking forward to the Christian baptism. Um, but what I think... And those could be very, very well could be correct. Smarter people than me have those theories, right? But what I think is that it means basically the same thing as being born of the Spirit. And he says water in the Spirit because Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he would have been familiar with the the prophets and the promises uh, from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament. And I, and it reminds me of Ezekiel 36. I'm going to put a bookmark in here. Ezekiel 36, 24. All right, where are we? Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. This is a promise that Ezekiel is prophesying of Israel's restoration. Right? For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's water. We're sprinkling clean water on you. And put a new spirit in you. Oh, there's water and the spirit right here. Uh, I will sprinkle clean water in you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and, uh, and to be careful to keep my laws. Alright, And so I think that Jesus is referring back to this, and we also find similar language in Jeremiah. We see similar language in... Um, Isaiah, uh, you can look at my notes if you want to look into Old Testament spirit and um, and water. But I'm running out of time, so I need to move on. And so he says, you need to be born of water and the spirit. And he's talking about this thing that the, the Pharisees are holding on to, that someday God is going to pour out on all flesh. We see that in Joel too, that at the end days, that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on, on all flesh. Your young men will see visions, your old men... Dream dreams, yes, we all know that. <laughs> I could look it up, um, and and then right the next couple verses, it talks about that the nations will be judged in these last days, and so. Uh, Nicodemus would have understood that if we get our ducks in a row, if we do things right, then God is going to pour out His Spirit. He's going to wash us and cleanse us. He's going to give us uh, new hearts of flesh, and we're going to live in in God's kingdom, in the in uh, our rightful place as the, the blessed chosen uh, kingdom of God in the world. Right? And in, in order to get there, he thought, in order to get to this place that the the Spirit will be poured out and that we'll be cleansed from all our iniquities is that we need to get things together. We need to obey the Mosaic law, and we need to do a heck of a lot better than everybody else who has done it up to this point. And not only do we need to keep these laws and and to keep even this oral tradition that has been passed down um, from generations, we also need to get everybody else around us to get things together and pull it together so that Israel can be restored, so we can enter into this new place, all right? And I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. And so imagine, if you will, you wake up, and your parents call you into the living room f- to have a meeting. And they sit you down, and they say, great news, kids. This summer, this summer, we're going on family vacation. Oh, great. We love family vacation. This is going to be awesome. Not only are we going to family vacation, right? We are going to Disneyland. Oh! All right Disneyland everybody loves Disneyland right and and the father is so excited and he's like don't worry son this is going to be a great trip and we've got uh, we've got booked the taxi's gonna pick us up and gonna take us to the the airport and it's going to be gonna be great and the son's like you know what dad I really am excited about going to Disneyland with you but I want I want to prove I want to prove that I deserve to be in Disneyland with you and so I know where it is I know it's uh, due south, and so I've got my compass, and I am going to walk to Disneyland. I guess that's Disney World, it's southwest. Well, Disneyland is also south, somewhat west. Anyway, uh, so, and so he's like, and the dad's like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? You don't need to walk to Disneyland. I, we got the cab. We've got the car. We've got the plane. It's going to be great. No, dad, I, I really want to show you. I want to prove that I deserve to be in Disneyland. He's like, well, bad news, son. Bad news. We're not going to Disneyland in the States. Oh, what? We're going to Disneyland Paris? Do you guys know that there's a Disneyland in Paris? Yeah. There's a Disneyland in Paris. Oh, Dad, that is awesome. I've always wanted to eat baguettes. <laughs> why, would a, why would a kid be excited about going to Paris? I'm not sure, but th- just stick with me for the sake of the story. All right? And so the kid's super excited. He loves the Eiffel Tower. He loves berets. He loves baguettes. And he loves Mickey Mouse. And he is so very, very excited. And he's like, Dad, this is great. I cannot wait to be in, in Disneyland with you. And his dad's like, yes, it's going to be awesome. I've got, we're going to get to the airport tomorrow morning. We're going to fly over there. And we're going to land there. It's going to be super great. And the son's like, you know what, Dad? I really am excited about going to Disneyland with you. But I want to show you how passionate I am about it, right? And how passionate I am to get there, to be with you. And so I'm going to walk to the coast, and I'm going to swim across the ocean, and I'm going to meet you in Disneyland, Paris. Son, what are you talking about? You can't swim. Nobody can swim the ocean. Yeah, it's not looking good. Honestly, Dad, there's not there's not a, a good track record of people swimming across the ocean to from America to uh, Europe, But, you know, I just finished this swimming class. I got the the little red cross badge that I sewed onto my swimming suit. And I'm pretty sure that if I work hard enough, I will meet you. I'll meet you there, and we're going to have a great time. All right, that story obviously is ridiculous, right? And yet it pictures what we do or what the Pharisees were trying to do, right? They wanted to be in the kingdom, right? Just like this kid wanted to be in the magic kingdom with his dad. They were passionate. Oh, yeah. They were passionate uh, about. Uh, they were passionate. Uh, about God. They're passionate about bringing the the Messiah and letting God rule. They wanted God in charge, right? But they wanted to earn it. They thought they had to get it figured out. They thought that they had to do the hard work because we saw in their history, everybody else is messed up and God brought judgment. But if we do it right, then God will bring blessing and it's going to be so awesome. We want to see the kingdom. We want eternal life. Right? And this is what Jesus is coming against in Nicodemus. He's come out of the darkness. He's come into the light. He's like, we, want, we think you're from God, and we want what God has. And Jesus cuts to the heart and says, you can't do it the way you think you can do it. You guys are so concerned with the minutia of the law that you have forgotten about my grace and about mercy. You see, the flesh gives birth to flesh but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You think by your works of the flesh that you can bring in this spiritual rebirth. Well, I've got news for you. Your works, right, they can't do it. They're only going to uh, give birth to more works and more flesh, right? We are not created. We cannot do enough good to earn our way into God's kingdom, into salvation, right? We can't do it because we are born in sin. In that sin is is from day one right we are born in original sin we are sinners from birth little babies are sinners well that seems sad right and but and so there's nothing we can do and and Jesus is saying you know what you guys are saying well if we do this if we get our uh, uh, our stuff together then God is going to to bring the kingdom and Jesus is saying you guys have tried and tried and tried and tried to do this and you can't do it Right? We've seen it in Israel. We've seen, you know, you guys aren't doing it well. You've forgotten the important things. You've forgotten grace and mercy and love, right? And you're just trying to do it by works, but that is never going to work. And you shouldn't be surprised saying that you must be born again. There's no other option. You must be born again because the wind blows where it pleases. And you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. He's saying it's a mystery. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yes, we are... From the core of our being, we want to earn our way into God's good graces. We want to show God how worthy we are, and maybe in some of us, right? We want to—I want to prove, you know, to God. But and there's also this thing: I want to prove to my dad that I've got what it takes, you know? Because maybe I've—I've you know, I've got some these lies circling around in my heart or in my mind, and my dad didn't. You know, he didn't believe in me. My dad didn't love me. And so I had to, you know, it was only when I really proved myself that my dad gave me any affirmation. And so we take this kind of thought about how our natural father is, and we put it on God the Father, and we go, man, he's a little bit disappointed. He's a little bit distant. But if I work really hard, then he's going to be happy, right? And then I get to be with him, and we get to go to Disneyland. It's going to be great, right? But... But Jesus like, this doesn't work. You have to let, let that go and just completely trust, right? You can't do anything to deserve this spiritual rebirth. All right, we're almost out of time. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. All right, we can't do anything. Well, then how, is, how are we supposed to do it? How are we supposed to enter into the kingdom? What do we do? And here is the climax of this story, right? Jesus says, uh, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And he says, "Here's something else that you know, Nicodemus. Here's a story that you know real well. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In in um oh man, I can't remember where is it? I think it's in Deuter. It's in Exodus. Sorry, it's in Exodus. The the Israelites are wandering around in the desert and all of a sudden there's all these serpents and the Israelites are getting bitten by these poisonous serpents and they're dying, right? And so God tells Moses to what? Take a a golden serpent and put it on a stick and lift it up in front of everybody. Well, that doesn't make much sense, but okay, we can do that. And so Moses does that and he says, anybody that looks to the golden serpent is going to be saved from the poison from death from these serpents. Right? And so it's this miraculous amazing story. And so Moses lifts up this the serpent. The Israelites look at him and they are saved, right? They're they're no longer poisoned. Right? The snakes can bite them, it doesn't even matter anymore. Right? it's amazing. And and Jesus says, "You know that story so well." And that is a picture, right? It's a picture uh, and so in the same way that the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, right? And Jesus is referring to himself, he's the, the Son of Man, right? The Son of Man must be lifted up. And we know, in hindsight, right, that he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. So that the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so, in the desert... Thousands of years before, the Israelites are dying from these snake bites. They don't have anything to do. They look at the serpent. right? That's all they can do. They're, they're literally powerless to live through these poisonous snake bites. And so they look to this golden serpent and they are healed. And in the same way, you and I, all of humanity is uh, has no choice, right? We are helpless to overcome the sin and corruption and death, this original sin that has been passed down to us. We have nothing. We can't be good enough. Even in, Paul, what does Paul say, even our best works are just filthy rags before God. And so if you want to be born again, if you want to be born above, if you want this spiritual rebirth, Right? It's not when you get your stuff together and God is finally pleased and comes. No, God is pleased right now. And Jesus comes and does what we cannot do and could never do. Nobody can do. He fulfilled the law. He became the, the sacrifice for our salvation. And the only thing we can do is to receive this as a gift This faith is not a work. It's just opening up a present. God has done all the work. And we just thank you for that, Father. And so then John, the author of this gospel, summarizes, right? And he says, For God so loved the world, all of the world. In. in uh, one of Peter's epistles, it says that God doesn't want anybody to perish. right? God loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you want to enter into life. You want to enter into the, the fullness. You want to enter into the spiritual rebirth. It's not anything you can do. You have to lay down that thinking. You have to lay down your, your works and your attempts at righteousness and just trust in me, and so Nicodemus and these Pharisees were trusting in legalism. They're trusting in these works to get God to restore what was lost in the fall. What was the that was the you know intimacy, connection with God, uh, fullness of life, the kingdom? They were uh, if we can get our ducks in a row, if uh, then God will come and do that. But how does that translate to us? We're not Pharisees, probably not technically. Um, you know, we don't live in Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago, but in our own lives, we can see that we uh, are often trusting in or believing in something for uh, restoration, right? That we are trying to overcome the effects of the fall. Everybody is, right? Everybody is striving for, for fullness of life. They're striving for peace and love, and we see it in a lot of ways. A lot of people still use legalism in the church and outside of the church, right? I need to earn my way in. Right? Or maybe it's humanism, right? Like, oh, if we just pull together as a people, then we can, you know, we can work our way into, you know, bringing utopia to earth just through human effort. Maybe if we built a big tower, that would help. Um, or maybe, you know, we latch onto atheism. Not all of us, but right? Maybe they, there's like this, this denial that there's any spiritual problem. We're just an accident. Blah blah blah. You know, there's no problem. We're just going to ignore the trouble. Or maybe we use some kind of non-Christian spirituality right, to, to find this peace. But all of it outside of Jesus Christ and putting our faith in Jesus is meaningless. Right? We need to simply lay down our rights and say, Jesus, I can't do it. I'm going to follow you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Right, and so what Jesus says to Nicodemus he says you can't do it right you are trusting in what you're trusting in is not going to allow you to see the kingdom right it's only by being born again it's only by being born again born from above it's only this spiritual rebirth you can't be good enough it's only by looking to me the son of man that is how you do it And so in the same way, here in 2016, whatever it is that we're trusting in, whether it's humanism or atheism or or pantheism or any of the isms, any of the isms are going to be lacking. And even if we are trying to add something to Jesus, if we're like, well, Jesus is my salvation, that's how I got into the kingdom, but now I, I better work hard, right? I better come to work day next Saturday so that I can stay, that God still loves me. What should I do with that? Um, there, there's something in the Bible about rewards. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, you don't need to come to the workday to get into the, into the kingdom, right, or to stay in the kingdom. You don't need to read your Bible or, or pray or do any of these spiritual disciplines. You don't need to serve or, or fast or do anything, right? It's not about what you can do. It's about who you put your trust in. And so today, that is my whole heart, just to communicate that we need to, not just when we uh, enter salvation, many of us have been saved for quite a while, Right? Many of us have been saved for many, many years, and we trust that it is through, uh, by grace, through faith alone, that we enter into the kingdom. Yet when we look at our lives, we see this uh, uh, striving, in this like, oh, I've got to say yes to that, I've got to do this, right? or God's going to be upset, or I'm not good enough, right, or I'm, I'm somehow lacking and God is disappointed in me. Right? And that is, that is garbage thinking. That is garbage thinking. And so this is not just a sermon, not just a teaching for us, to, for you know, oh, you should make a decision to follow Jesus. But if you have, if you're here this morning, you've never chosen to follow Jesus. This is a great time because you can. The truth is that it's not anything that you can do. It's not. You don't have to get your life together, or your act together before coming into God's kingdom and receiving His His love and His grace and His mercy for you. You just boldly come by looking to Jesus just by looking to Jesus. But in the same way, for us who have been saved for a while, who have been in the kingdom for a long time, we need to remember that, that it is not through works that God is, continues to be proud of us. It's not through striving and, and you know, struggling that God continues to smile on us. right? And if, So if we want that resurrection power of Jesus to continually fill us and transform us, it's not by working, it's by resting. As we look to Jesus Christ as he is lifted up and trusting in him for our salvation. All right, let me close. Father God, you are so, 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 so good. We thank you for your unfailing love. God, we thank you that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die on a cross. Jesus, we thank you that you were so humble and that you loved us so much that you were willing to to step out of your place of honor at the, the right hand of God, to be born as a baby, to live as a man, to be crucified, to be murdered, to be buried, to bear the penalty that you did not deserve for our sins. God, we thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you for that. And we just celebrate that new birth today. And Lord, if, if, uh, if any of us is here, and we've been here for a while, but we have been in a season of striving and, and working and yearning to, to make you happy, to make you proud, Lord, we just lay that aside. And we just choose right now to look to you, Lord Jesus, our Savior who has purchased our our eternity, who has purchased our salvation, not because of anything that we have done, but because of your love and your faithfulness. Help us to walk that out today, to leave here rested in you. Yeah. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, uh, there is a prayer team on my right. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, we encourage you. We've been, there's, uh, that God moves uh, at, through prayer, and if you have a physical healing need, I encourage you to take advantage of that or any other need. Uh, and with that, you are dismissed. There is coffee and donuts in the family room. Bless you.